Good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. Hello. Uh, we're going to continue our series in Romans. So keep your Bibles open there. I'm excited to be with you this morning. The main point of this chapter, <clears throat> Moose says this in his commentary in Romans. He says, the main point of this chapter is very similar to the central thrust of chapter 6. Uh, you recall, I want to read the last words of uh, Romans chapter 6, the last section that Dr. Routley spoke on. Verse 20 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? We're ashamed of sin. If we're not ashamed of sin, we're in a wrong place. Let that be clear. We ought to be ashamed of sin. Believers are ashamed of sin. If we're not ashamed of our sin, there's some issue there. Continues, for the end of those things is death. Verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. With this new reality for us, right? We were, we were dead in our sins, but now we're, we're, we're freed from sin and slavery to it to serve Christ. And the fruit, the end result, is eternal life. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. What you get paid for sin is death. But when God steps in, it says this, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we, we, we looked at sin and, uh, and slavery to sin. We recognize sin is wrong. It sins the problem of the world. Right? You look at all the brokenness. We know God's Word tells us it is a result of sin. That's why we see all this brokenness. That's why we see all the issues. Right? And God wants us to know it's not just out there. It's also in here, right, is the bigger picture. And, and that's a big step for every person to take. Instead of pointing the finger as Adam and Eve pointed the finger, outward, we look within and we see sin. God wants us to see that. And when we see that, we need to see His provision through Christ for our sin. So we, don't, we no longer are slaves to sin. We don't just give ourselves to sin and say, you, we will obey you. I will obey you. And I, and I know we all know this experientially. Sin hearkens. Sin calls us to obey, and, and we obey. Right? There's the reality before we came to Christ. There's also the struggle in Christ of sin lingering. We'll get to that later. <clears throat> Not today. Uh, in another chapel. <clears throat> we know sin's the issue, but, but what Paul wants to talk about in chapter 7 now is is kind of is address this issue. What about the law? What about the law? And we're going to talk about the law this morning. Um, I talked with Coach Reggie a few days ago, and you should you should ask him. He's studying law, and I and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Can the law save? Uh, no, right? Um, I try this my my Coach Richter voice. Um, I try to, I try to do it around him every time I see him, and he's like, God, give him a hard time. I think he kind of likes it, though. But the point of the law is it will never save. It won't save, right? So get into chapter 
7, verse 1 with me. Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on the person, a law is binding on a person as, only as long as he lives. This is uh, what Paul wants us to know. Here's, the, here's a point he wants us to know as we're now shifting to considering the law. The law is binding as long as you are alive. And then he goes on and he illustrates this point in verses 2 and verse 3. Verse 2 and verse 3. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. What's the law? You shall not commit adultery, right? It seems to be what he's referring to here. Okay, the law is binding on a person as long as he shall live. If a married woman goes and sleeps with another man, not her husband, not the husband of her vows, right, that she's covenanted to, to, to be with until death parts them. If she goes and lives with another man, sleeps with another man, she's committing adultery. She has now broken that law. But when her husband dies, she's freed from that law of marriage. And so she's not an adulteress if she goes and she marries another. So Paul's point is, the law is binding as long as a person is alive. He illustrates this with this point. Okay, <clears throat> look at verse 4 now. Verse 4 through 6, next section. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. <clears throat> We're set free, just like this woman was set free. The law is binding on a person as long as they live. The woman set free from that law of marriage because her husband dies. She can remarry without committing the sin. We are set free equally. Right? We have died to the law through the body of Christ. We're still alive, but Paul's making this connection here. It says, we're in Jesus. We're connected to Him. And if you just go back and you look at chapter 6, verse 4, verse 5, we were buried with Christ by, with Him by baptism into His death. We have, verse 5, we have been united with Him in a death like His. Certainly, we will be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Verse 8, chapter 6, verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Paul's drawing, pulling on that, reminding, uh, keep that in, in your mind as you're we're thinking about this, and says, look, we're united to Christ. Christ died. We died with him. To what end? So that we would be long, we would belong to him and not to the law anymore. Right? We are no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to the law where we are condemned as this woman is condemned in committing adultery if she 
leaves her husband while he's alive, but when her husband dies, she's free. When Christ died, we died with Jesus as well. And so the law that's out here that condemns us for sin, for what we do, that's wrong. We are now in Christ. We have this this new reality. We're freed from that. Well, what what does this kind of look like? Uh, The end of verse 4, if you look at that, says, in order that we may bear fruit for God. I'll talk a little bit about that in a second, but look at verse 5. For while we were living in our flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. To bear fruit for death. What's the result of sin? What's the result, excuse me, of disobeying the law? Death. Do you remember the garden, Adam and Eve? They're in the garden. Adam's told, hey, there's all these trees out there that you can eat from. Go and enjoy. Go and enjoy. But there's there's one tree. Don't eat the fruit. Don't eat the fruit from that tree. Commandment's there. It's good. Adam and Eve are there. They're like, okay, there's, there's no sin, right? There's no issue that's there. When did death come in the picture? When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, right? Eve took it and then she gave it to Adam and he ate it as well. While we were, but look back at verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Death came into our human existence, into our reality through disobeying this law. And it it continues. The law stands out here, and what's going to be the the fruit of disobedience to the law? Death. Death will continue to reign. It will always be that way. Lightfoot says this. He says, So throughout the ages... Sin makes a double promise to her victims. First, that no evil consequences will ensue. Do it. Eat. Disobey the command. It's not going to go poorly for you. That's actually going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. Every little thing is going to be all right. Don't worry. Just be happy, right? That's the first promise. Second, that their view of life will be enlarged and that on this increased knowledge will follow increased happiness. This is the, this is the temptation for Adam and Eve, right? You're going to know something. And as you know something more, you're going to become happier. But what's the result? What's the fruit of that disobedience? Death. Every single time. Another commentator says this, ever since Adam and Adam ate forbidden fruit. We have all, we have all been fond of forbidden paths. So we're all, we're all stuck in this reality because the law is out there and because we sinned, we now die. So something has to change. A death has to occur so that, that we're freed from that law. And that's what Jesus has accomplished for us back in verse 4. You also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Whereas it's the the woman, and uh, and her husband dies, and now she can remarry, 
here for us, it's Jesus died. And we with him died. And so what can we do? Instead of bearing fruit for death, instead of disobeying God's commands again and again and again, we can bear fruit for God. We can be changed. We can look different. There can be life. There can be hope for us, right? And that's only found in Christ. Um, I'm reading the ESV, and it says, uh, may bear fruit for death at the end of verse 4. I think NASB is, might bear fruit for death. Right? Where before Christ, was it possible for us to bear fruit for God? Was it possible for us to do things for him according to his will and reap the benefit? No. We were, we were dead in our sins. And the law didn't help us because all we could do was sin. But because of what Christ has done, it's now probable for us to actually bear fruit for God. Okay, so is the law sin? Paul continues, verse 7. Is the law the issue? Don't you love where Paul's going? He's, he's very honest. He's, he's very reasonable, logical as he's thinking, but I want to say honest. Did, did God create something sinful? Right? Because if there's a problem inside of me, and then God's things out, thing out there doesn't help me, maybe that's what's the problem. No, it's not, right? But don't we all have that question? We wonder, is it God? Is it who he is? Or is it what he's done that is actually the problem and not myself? Let's see where Paul lands on this. What should we say then, verse 7, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Paul was unaware of his actions. He's unaware of his actions uh, that coveting, what he was doing, was actually coveting until the law steps in. We're going to see this. We keep reading verse 8. But sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. And I was once alive apart from the law. But when the law, excuse me, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the I'll stop there. Verse 11, excuse me. <clears throat> what does Paul mean? What, excuse me, what Paul means by this is not simply that the law told Paul that sin, what sin was, but that the law, with its explicit spelling out of the commandments of God, gave sin the opportunity to stimulate rebellion against God and made absolutely clear his sinfulness and death. Labeling an action as transgression against God, God's holy law, leads us to violate it. And in that way, the law stimulates sinning. sinning. The coming of the command stimulated what was in us. We sin. God's, God's word says his law has been written on our heart. There's this, this universal testimony to the, that our consciences tell us we know what's right, we know what's wrong across the world. 
Why? Because God put that there in people's hearts. Doesn't matter the culture, doesn't matter the language, doesn't matter the point in time throughout history. There's this universal consensus on things that are right and things that are wrong because God's put that in us. But we know how sinful it is when we know God's law, when we hear God's law. Don't covet. I want to covet. Don't speed. I wonder if I can get away with that. Uh, I said I wasn't going to bring that one up. Oh, man. Um, right? As soon as you're told not to, what do you want to do? And, and like, we can think of the little things. Like, my kids rebel against me, right? Don't do that. Uh, my kids automatically, every parent says that. And when you become a parent, if you're not, you will recognize that. Your kids, they're, they're drawn to disobey. They're drawn to do what you say don't do. But on the greatest degree, that's, that's us with God. We're, we're so sinful that as soon as we realize what God says we should not do, that's, that's what we want to do. Do we see the, the, the severity of the nature of our sinfulness? God says, don't sin. He puts his commandment out. and says, don't sin. And, and then it, it gets worse. Like oh, That's exactly what I want to do. We can see what's the issue here. Is it don't sin? Is it don't covet? And then Paul's coveting? It's not that commandment. The commandment will never save. It's the person coveting. It's the heart. The issue lies within Paul. And as we're reading this, it becomes pretty clear. Like, this is our problem. This is our issue. Right? It's not just Paul's problem. This is a, really a universal issue. Sin. Sin stirs, I mean, the, the law, the presence of the law stirs up sin. Romans 3, 19 through 20 says this about the law. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So the law is there, and it's the standard that we're held accountable to. God will judge us by the law. And then the last part says, since through the, through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is the point of the law. Knowledge of sin. I know how sinful sin is. It's rebellion against God and His commands. And I know I'm a sinner. Because God's law is out there. It was, it's never intended to save. It can't do that. But like Paul talks about in Galatians, it's this tutor that's meant to lead us to Christ. Right? We're not meant to stay with the tutor for life. No, you want to grow beyond uh, that. You go to Christ. That's what God put forth. He gave us the law so they would lead us to Christ. And the law is not the issue. The law leads us to understand that we ourselves are sinful and to see how sinful we actually are. So, verse 11, for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. All right, we're dead. We bear, fruit for, uh, for, uh, we bear fruit that results in death under the law and, and in sin. Verse 12 says this, so that the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. John Stott, a little more lengthy quote, let me read this, says this, 
In answer to both questions, Paul has declared that the culprit is not the law, but sin. Verses 8 and 11 are closely parallel, both describing sin as seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, either to produce sin or to inflict death. Take a criminal today, a man caught red-handed breaking the law. He is arrested, brought to trial, found guilty, and sentenced to prison. He cannot blame the law for his imprisonment. True, it is the law which convicted and sentenced him, but he has no one to blame but himself and his own criminal behavior. In a similar way, Paul exonerates the law, uh, the, which indwelling sin because of its perversity, uh, perversity is aroused and provoked by the law. Those who are against the law, who say that our whole problem is the law, are quite wrong. Our problem is not the law, but sin. It is indwelling sin which accounts for the weakness of the law. As the apostle will go on to show in the next paragraph, the law cannot save us because we cannot keep it. And we cannot keep it because of indwelling sin. One preacher said this about this passage. God uses a holy thing, the law, to reveal an evil thing, sin, so that a necessary thing, death, might result in the most important thing, life. We are freed from the law to follow Jesus now because we've died with him. The law isn't over there condemning us to death because Christ bore our death. And now we have this new reality, life in Jesus. Life in Jesus. Read with me again verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Verse 6. But now you... We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not the old way of the written code. This reminds us of what we read in the Old Testament, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. God looks at the nation of Israel, and, and, and what's the problem? It's their heart that needs to be changed. They need a, a, not a heart of stone any longer. They need a heart of flesh, and God's very Spirit needs to come in. And, and that's what God has done for all of us who are in Jesus by faith. We are changed. We're transformed, right? The question lingers, okay, but sin's still a reality in my life. Like, what is that? What do I do? How do I wrestle with that, right? Right now, we know two things. We know from last time, uh, we know more than two things, but two things I want to recall. From last time, we're, we're dead to sin. We're alive in Christ, Right? And now we, we are dead in Christ and we're alive in him to serve him, to follow him. We can actually live the life that God wants us, us to live. It's, it's actually a possibility now where before, we, before Jesus' work on the cross, before our faith in him, like that was not a possibility. We couldn't. We would just die in our sin because we're slaves to it and because the law is condemnation. But now Christ has paid our penalty, right? He was condemned for us. And the law actually says, hey, hello, let me introduce you to Jesus. He's going to be everything you ever dreamed of. So let me just ask this. The, the question, others have talked about it throughout this 
this, uh, this semester, and uh, it's been kind of brought up. For some of you, I don't know who it is, why, why haven't you trusted in Jesus yet? Why haven't you received him? And this is something only God can see. I, I can't look out and say, oh, you know, uh, here's Dr. Routley, like I'm speaking directly to him. Um, God knows. He sees your sin. He died to free you from sin, the penalty of sin, a life of sin. He, he sees that the law brings death because now you know what is sinful. And he sees your rebellion against him. Why keep rebelling? Why not turn to him and be forgiven and be made new so that in him you can live for him? He's a good master. Sin will say there's no consequence. The law is out there and says there is consequence. Sin will say, you know, I'm going I'm to give you everything you ever wanted. There's better knowledge, deep knowledge that only you have. And it's going to make you happy. And it still hasn't made you happy. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Brother, sister, in Christ. Why do we choose sin? Don't we want to choose Jesus? We want to choose Jesus. I think Mr. Riley kind of pointed this out at chapel on Friday. Like, what's better? Jesus. What's a better reward? Jesus. We, through the body of Christ, we now belong to him in order that we may bear fruit for God. We have the joy of living for him in this life and letting his life be lived through us. Stop going back to sin, brother or sister in Christ. Stop rebelling against God. And this is for me, too. What do we do? Do we just say, don't do this? We say, don't do this. I pursue Jesus. Pursue him. He is better than rebellion. He's better than disobedience to the law, right? He's better. May the Lord help us to, to put down that old life we have now the possibility of following him and bearing fruit for him. Let us embrace what he's bought for us through his death. And he rose again. He has every right to give that to us.